two quick things at the top. One, I, I keep screwing up the audio. I don't know how. I don't know why. Whether it's the recording software or it's one of these other things, it just keeps getting jacked up. So certain pieces are going to be a little bit hot. Certain pieces will be a little bit light. My audio in the interview with Tommy Ely, a little bit on the quiet side. I apologize for that. His is nice and crystal clear. Mine sucks. You would think by now I would have this thing figured out. Clearly, I don't. Uh, number two, uh, Tommy wanted to make it clear that his Twitter handle is actually, let me just make sure, it is at Rocky45Fork. At Rocky45Fork. Not the handle that he mentions in the interview. Those are the two things. Good luck. Godspeed. Talk soon. And welcome into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In the Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. This is episode 25 of the Matt Bernier Show for Monday, July the 27th, 2020. However, you listen to this thing, thank you for doing so. Number of ways to find this podcast. If you are an audio only fan, you can find this on Apple Podcasts. You can find it on your Android device. You can find it on InTheMoneyPodcast.com. Not only can you find this show on InTheMoneyPodcast.com, but you can find the flagship show, the In The Money Players Podcast. You can find the JK Plus One sit-down interview show with Jonathan Kinchin. You can find Talk Racing to Me with Naomi Tucker. You can find the Redboard Rewind with Spencer Lugenbuehl. You can find the U.S. home for Nick Luck's daily podcast. Uh, you can find so many things over on InTheMoneyPodcast.com. I'd encourage everyone to head on over there to check that out. If you are someone who likes to listen and watch over on YouTube, all you need to do, search bar on YouTube, Matt Bernier Show. This episode will pop up along with the other 24 that we have recorded. Um, that's the best place to be leaving questions, comments, concerns, thoughts about topics, races, horses, whatever it may be beneath the video player on YouTube. Uh, as I've said in the past, you already know this. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Um, this week's show, The Rundown, a little bit of an idea what we're looking at. I'm going to try to keep this pretty tight. Uh, I'm going to start off at the top talking about uh, the most polarizing horse that we have in training and maximum security. We'll roll into the Friday feature this week with last week's winner, Tommy Ely. Need to give a tip of the cap to all of the folks who picked the winner from last Friday's race up at the spa. Based on the random draw, Tommy Ely's name is the one that came out. Uh, so we will talk about race number nine at Saratoga. That's the Coronation Cup on Friday. If you are trying to get into Tommy's position this week, all you need to do beneath the video player on YouTube, select the winner of the Coronation Cup. If you're the only one, I'll contact you. We'll get along. And if there are multiples, I'll have to go over to Google, use that random number generator, and randomly pull out a name. So we'll go from there. We'll take a look at that race. That's the Coronation Cup again, race number nine on Friday with Tommy Ely. Then I'll roll into In the Money and Off the Board for this week, as well as Q&A. But to start things off, I think we need to talk about maximum security. And I have to, I got to bring something up that it's, it's a, it's a de delicate sort of dance to, to sort of go about because I'm part of the uh, group of folks that vote on the top 10 for the Breeders' Cup Classic rankings. Okay. That started last week. I had maximum security ranked number two behind Tom Zeta, knowing that the San Diego handicap was coming up. And I had some folks in social media say, well, how could you have him ranked two, first time going out with a new barn, off of a lengthy layoff, X, Y, and Z. F fine, whatever. Lists and rankings are in the eye of the beholder. It's whatever you feel 
is most appropriate at that time with the information that you have present. San Diego handicap is run. Maximum security wins the race. Uh, very game effort, gutsy effort. One-on-one buyer speed figure. I move him down to five this week. And some folks start questioning, well, what, you know, what's the logic here? How can you make heads or tails of this? You know, you had him at two before he ran. He comes back, he runs well and wins, and now you move him down. The maximum security topic is one that I've been interested in for a little while now. And I, I chatted with a friend of mine uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I said, I this is a very difficult position, in my opinion, for everyone associated with the horse to be in. Because knowing the barn that he came from and the charges that have been well-documented and well-publicized about Jason's service, among others, but specifically service because he had maximum security in his barn, the races that maximum security has run throughout his career. Now, the, here's where it becomes a bit of a delicate sort of situation because he was a three-year-old last year. And he could very easily just be a four-year-old getting ready to come into his own. But I brought up the idea or the thought that optically, how does, what are the optics if maximum security in a new barn, in a, in a high-profile barn, if he improves from the form we saw last year in the barn that he was in, the barn who has been basically shut down because of doing nefarious things as far as performance-enhancing drugs are concerned. Well, how does it look if this horse comes back now in a new barn and he were to improve? I, 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 I Maybe I'm on an island. I think that would look pretty bad. But that becomes the difficult piece in it is that it's entirely plausible that he could come back now in Bob Baffert's barn and and just as a naturally maturing four-year-old and I've, I've spoken about it in the past you know we don't get to we usually don't get to see these horses get to their absolute best because we typically don't get to see them as late four-year-olds five-year-olds six-year-olds it's entirely plausible that this horse ends up going to another level for the Baffert barn, but for someone who is not involved or pays attention to racing on a day-to-day basis, how does that look or sound? If I run down the story for you, uh, this horse wins the Kentucky Derby, is disqualified because he's a little bit goofy, um, only horse to ever be DQ'd from the Derby. Goes on, wins a number of, of more, you know, many more races as a three-year-old uh, for the barn that he was in. Uh, goes over to Saudi Arabia and wins a, what, a $20 million race or whatever it was. He's a damn good horse. He has the, he's got the heart of a lion. He just, he's just, he wants to beat you. And I think that's something that shouldn't go overlooked. He is a tenacious competitor. I think it's the best asset that he has. He doesn't want to lose. You can see this in him. He's the kind of horse that he's going to give you everything he's got. And whether he beats you by an inch or by a mile, he's got the heart. He wants to go and beat you. You can't take that away or you can't question that from this horse watching his races. But let's say, I, I'm, I'm telling you the story. He goes over to Saudi Arabia. He wins this race. Then we find out that his trainer 
is now in trouble with the federal government because he's been administering illegal performance-enhancing drugs. Now, this horse has not failed the test, but you can draw conclusions. He's on the sidelines for a while. Now that his old trainer is out and he's in trouble, or he's at least alleged to be in trouble. Again, I'm not going to get into all that, but you get where I'm going with that. Now he goes over to arguably one of, if not the, the highest profile trainer in the United States, and you could even make an argument for the world. I mean, Bob Baffert is right there with the Aiden O'Briens, the John Gosdens, the Todd Pletchers, the, the Chad Browns of the world. Well, it's what is the expectation level now? And I think that's a difficult position for Baffert, for anyone involved with this horse to be in. Because it's entirely reasonable for the horse as a four-year-old to continue to mature mentally and physically and take a step forward and run faster races. But when you have the sort of background information knowing that he's coming from a barn that may have been doing or likely was doing nefarious things, how does that look? I mean, not everyone's going to share the same opinion. I just, I can't help but think that if it were, if we're talking about someone who is, I'm not even going to say a casual fan, a, let's just say someone who sees the races on TV four times a year, the Triple Crown and the Breeders' Cup, and you get the lowdown on this horse, the background, and you say, wait a minute, he came from a barn where they were pumping the horses full of rocket fuel, and now he goes to a different barn and he actually improves? Doesn't that, and I'm not, just take take the names out of the equation. If he goes from barn A to barn B, barn A has been accused and alleged of doing some really, really serious things, and he actually improves in barn B, that's, that's going to raise an eyebrow or two. And I can't overstate that I'm not suggesting that anything nefarious is necessarily happening with barn B. It could just be that the horse is continuing to improve and get better with age. But it's just a difficult position for barn B to be in, knowing where this horse came from. It's a very difficult situation to be in. So when he comes back here, maximum security, and he runs a gritty, he puts forth a really, really sort of tenacious, probably the word I'm looking for. I mean, he he really worked hard, and he ran really well in the San Diego on Saturday. Earned a 101 buyer. That performance is on par with much of his, let's say, early to mid-three-year-old form. His two big races, what I consider the big races, were the Cigar Mile and the Saudi Cup. This race does not suggest that he is at that, that sort of number, or those numbers. Now, his second start back, let's say it is the Pacific Classic, could he get back to those numbers? He certainly could. He's going to need to if he needs if he's going to be considered a real true threat for a race like the Breeders' Cup Classic because, simply put, there are faster horses than him right now at this 101 level. But if you think he needed a race and you think he's going to improve going forward over the next two, three, four months, 
Well, it's, it's entirely plausible to think that he's going to get back to that sort of form. But to my bigger point, how does that look if he gets back to those races when you know what may have been going on in the barn that he used to be in to get to those performances? How does that look? You know, with a human athlete, we see they, you know, let's say they have, and baseball is the easiest analogy because we saw it all happen and play out. Mediocre player or even a good player, then all of a sudden you see a nice spike as far as their numbers and statistics are concerned. And then maybe they get popped and they get a service suspension. They come back and those numbers all of a sudden revert right back to where they were prior to, you know, presumably being on performance enhancements. With a horse like this, it's it. I, I feel I feel for everyone involved. I think it's a really difficult position to be in because even if there is, even if it's purely the horse taking every step forward that he possibly can, can't we agree that it it the the sort of story doesn't sound so so good anymore? And the horse is the big... The horse and the new connections. And when I say the new connections, I mean the new trainer. I, I think Baffert and I think Maximum Security are in unfortunate positions. Because if he doesn't get back to the way that he once was, you know, you can just chalk it up and say, well, how much of his old performance was due to what was happening in the service barn? And it's not really a knock against Bob Baffert. I mean, again, you're, he's playing with the cards that have been dealt. But even if the horse takes that step forward, are people going to unfairly start casting shadows and saying, mm, well, how did this happen? I think it's a very difficult position for everyone to be in. He is, without a doubt, the most well-known name in horse racing. And he is, without a doubt, the most polarizing name in horse racing, Maximum Security. People love him, people hate him, people are in the middle, kind of. I'm in the middle. Because for, you know, with the exception of those few fan favorites, you know, my, my few favorites, we talked about one of them last week with Jersey Town, I, you know, if a horse beats me or a horse, like, I, I don't care what differences it make. I hope they get home healthy and, and, and happy, that's all. And if I bet on the horse, I that is my rooting interest today. And if I didn't, I, you know, who, what do I care who wins? But with this horse, all of the stuff that's going on around him, boy, he's, he's in a bit of a no-win situation, as are the new connections. I think it's a really tough spot for everyone to be in. I don't know if that made sense or not. Let me know beneath the video player on YouTube. I've been thinking about it for a while, that this is, you know, this is a tough position, I think. He's a really nice racehorse. But he doesn't he probably doesn't get the credit he deserves. I think very similarly to a horse like Sharp Azteca, who I loved. He's never gonna get the credit he deserves because of the barn that he was in, because he was in Jorge Navarro's barn. And what would have happened had he been in a different barn? I have no idea. Maybe he would have been as good, or maybe he would have regressed. But if he had taken a step forward, people would have looked at it and said, What the hell's happening here? That's my point. That's where I'm going with this. Is that 
even if it's even if the horse takes another step forward you know it's just a difficult spot to be in because it doesn't mean that anything crazy is happening could just be that the horse is a nice four-year-old and he's, he's continuing to put it together but you're always going to have those people that that raise eyebrows and i think the general public who aren't paying attention on a day-to-day basis i think they would look at things and say something doesn't seem right here and that's not that's not fair to the horse that's not fair to baffert and company because that doesn't mean that anything is happening but given his backstory maximum security's backstory you can see how people would start to look at it a little bit a little bit different it's going to be fascinating to see how things transpire and progress with this horse based on the effort on saturday midcourt is a nice horse the rest of the horses in that field combatant higher power i get it grade one winners axeman's a nice horse i don't think any of them are at the top of the list that people would be compiling for the breeders cup classic if he takes a step forward, maximum security, yeah, he, he certainly fits back in there. But I dropped him down a few pegs just because I don't know what to expect next time out. Is this what he is? If it is, he's a really nice racehorse. He's going to win graded stakes races. This is not going to be good enough to win the Breeders' Cup Classic. If he needed a race and he's ready to take a step forward in the Pacific Classic or wherever the next race is, then we can start talking again. Then the whole narrative sort of situation presents itself. Let me know if this made sense, if you agree, disagree, whatever the case may be. I can't stress it enough. I don't think anything nefarious is happening right now at all. I don't. But when you see where he came from, maximum security, and what he was capable of doing under presumed sort of circumstances... I think now all of a sudden to be dropped into someone's lap as high profile as Bob Baffert, you know, I I think everyone's in in a tough position because you want the horse to continue to improve. But, you know, it's just it's it's a it's a tough, tough spot to be. in. Let me know what you think beneath the video player on YouTube. Now, let's get into some handicapping, shall we? Uh, race nine on Friday at Saratoga is the Coronation Cup. Uh, it's going to be the Friday feature this week. If you want to be involved and try to be on and handicap next week's Friday feature on Monday, you got to pick the winner beneath the video player on YouTube. It's the only place where I'll take the sort of the the selection. We'll take it on Twitter. We'll take it in an email. Tommy Ely was one of the folks that picked the winner correctly last week, and he's going to help us handicap race nine from Saratoga this Friday. It's the Coronation Cup. Here is the conversation with Tommy Ely. Friday feature time, race nine at Saratoga, the Coronation Cup. If you want to get involved and be in the position that Tommy Ely is right now, you got to leave your selection beneath the video player on YouTube. No email, no Twitter, no none of that. In the comment section beneath the video player, Tommy, you did so last week. You and a few other folks. Apparently, it was a hot selection with Cheritalto. Um, congratulations, first and foremost. Thanks for coming on. How are you? Good. I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's an honor. Uh, I think most people are pretty grateful that you're giving us the opportunity to join in and do the handicapping with you. I'm, I'm happy that people so far seem to be enjoying it, and it's been a nice little wrinkle, a nice little add to the show. And um, again, the only way that it works is if everyone out there, listeners and viewers, if they want to get involved, that's the only way that this thing happens. So, uh, oh, credit to you and everyone else that has so far. Tommy, give us a little bit of background on on your situation. Where are you? Uh, where are you from? Where did you start handicapping? What got you into it? All that jazz. 
Uh, so right now I'm actually living in Lexington. Uh, I work for a pretty, pretty remarkable farm down here. Um, it's winter quarter. So we've had names like Zenyatta and Audible and there's a couple of good ones come out of here. So I'm pretty blessed with that opportunity. Um, I started in Ohio. Uh, I actually was in college and decided to leave college to pursue horses because uh, I just like being outside more hands-on. And uh, so I started mucking stalls at a show barn and did that for a year. And then uh, I got blessed with the opportunity to work at one of the uh, one of the leading breeding farms in Ohio, uh, Langsam Farm. They uh, unfortunately have shut down now. That's why I'm in Lexington. But uh, yeah, it was a great opportunity. I, I got to prep horses. I've been to visit stallions and go to the sales and all that. And uh, it's been great. But uh, my start came from California Chrome. Um, my dad was a limo driver um, part-time back in the day. And he would go to Keeneland and the derbies and blah, 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 blah. So me and my mom would watch at home on the television and California Chrome, he sold it for me. He was just beautiful. He floated and uh, it kind of went from there. It stuck. Chrome was one of those unique instances where when you see a horse move, you know, I, I feel like for, for many people on any given day, you take a, take a look at a race, the horses all for the most part look the same, the way that they're moving, the way that their action goes about. And there were two horses for me that they just stuck out about the way that they moved and the way they just sort of glided. One of them was California Chrome and the other one that I, I've said to a number of people the day that it just kind of like blew up in my head was when I was at the Haskell when American Pharaoh ran and mm -hmm. I happened to be at the rail and it felt like every one of his strides, not that it was a, a super long looking stride, it just felt like it was effortless where everyone else it looked like they were running and he was just galloping along those two horses are the ones that come to mind for me oh yeah for sure uh i love american pharaoh but my heart is with frosted that year so <laughs> I, I can't give him too much credit but he did what he did and he's a great horse for it so hey I, i'm with you i had frosted in the derby and i thought he ran well all things considered he just he had a little too much work to do with that pace situation and then look those three horses that finished in front of him we know, obviously, it's unfortunate firing line never really got a, a real opportunity to come back and prove what he was right, capable right. of. And then, obviously, we know Dortmund down the road, he ended up doing some big things. But uh, no shame in losing to the first Triple Crown winner in, what, 37 years or whatever it was. So No, um, no shame at all. As far as, uh, so we have a little bit of background on you. What was the logic, and I probably should be asking folks this a little bit more when we have the winner come on from the week prior how did you ultimately land and i know some folks have done a good job about laying out what their thought process was with their selection how'd you land on Cheritalto? uh well it kind of came down to speed um i thought there was a few horses that could go and uh it kind of seems like in new york they like to slow it down so i knew a couple of them would sit off the pace but i thought there'd be enough that would go and uh it didn't really there was a horse that broke kind of bad. I can't remember his name, but I thought he would be on the lead, and that didn't work. So Charlton actually was a little bit closer to the pace than I thought he would be. And uh, he kicked home fine. Uh, he dueled with him and went on. But I, I thought he'd sit a pocket trip and, and come up the rail. But uh, he got done. So Now, the way that you've sort of laid out the rationale for that selection leads me to believe that pace is a pretty important piece of your handicapping? Uh Probably second most important. I'm a, I'm a big guy on the pigs. Uh, I use DRF, Brisnet, it doesn't matter, whatever, and get my hands on. Um, but, yeah, pace is a big part of it, but the, the horse has to run a speed figure, and that capability comes with whatever he's capable of. So if they can run fast, they can run fast. Uh, pace is, that just, that's a second part of it. 
we actually talked about it a little bit a few weeks ago, you know, going back to one of Andy Byer's books early on. It was before the speed figures were, you know, readily available for everyone. And, and Byer was sort of the at the forefront of the whole thing. And going back to the whole sort of class versus speed situation where it doesn't matter if, if these horses have been running in grade ones and grade twos versus a horse that's inexperienced and maybe stepping up dramatically in class. If they're faster, plain and simple, they're probably going to just beat them. Yeah, that's how I see it. You know, and I think that's one of the things that I, I don't want to say class gets completely, you know, completely overrated because I do think there is a difference, especially with speed horses. I think there is a difference between putting away a cheaper speed if you're just better than them when maybe you step up a little bit and numbers wise you end up stacking up favorably. But you're dealing with other legitimate speeds as well that they're not going to just all of a sudden fold at the first sign right. of adversity. And I think that's probably a good little transition into the Coronation Cup here. I know turf is a little bit different than dirt, but you and I spoke right before we came on here. Again, race nine on Friday for those of you trying to get involved. Seems like there's a lot of speed signed on. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, definitely the two inside horses uh, always in the money and Carrick. I think that's how you say that. Yep. Um, and you get you get Wesley Ward and he's actually got another horse. Uh, I think the eight, Artie's Princess, and uh, that horse draws Irad. So Irad kind of likes to gauge what other horses are going to do, but based on what the horse has done, um, first race, uh, first by length going 21 and three, um, the horse can get to the lead. Uh, so that's up to Irad and how he wants to do it. He might sit off a little bit based on what he's drawn to the inside of him, but I think the horse in the one hole is going to send. You have to usually in the one hole. Um, the second horse is probably going to push him. And then I think you got a little bit of pace on the outside too. You got Brindenbury who comes off a pretty nice performance in the, uh, the sixth hole. And then maybe the seven running from uh, dirt to turf. We'll see how that changes, but he's got a little bit of pace too. So I expect it to be hot up front. With a horse like uh, Bradenbury, who you already brought up one last out in that lady shipment from motion. What do you do with the number of horses coming out of the same race? Do you look at it and say, if you like one, I guess in this instance, maybe it's a little bit different because she was, pretty clearly the best in there but do you look at it and say if you like one you have to at least consider the horses that were in close attendance or do you look at it and go the opposite direction and say you know what if i don't take all of them i don't want any of them but so the way i kind of see horses coming out of the same race is i like to i like to get one of them i don't like to take a couple um that kind of feels like you're you're making your bankroll shorter when you do that mm -hmm. um so i'm not big in watching trips but when i see horses coming out of uh, a race i'll try and go and watch that race because if like in this example uh there's three but maybe four i think three coming out of that race yep. um so so you watch that race and bradenbury he was on the on the lead and came home faster and uh but what's the other horse she's my type she she was stalking closing and kicked home uh but it wasn't enough and the horse on the lead to run that fast and still finish ahead of a closer you kind of got to give it to bradenbury so um that's how I see it. I see him as the best coming out of that race. She's my type. Definitely has a chance, uh, depending on the pace situation. If the if they do go too fast in this race, but uh, Bradenburg for sure out of that race. Now you you brought up the idea that down on the inside, Kendrick Carmouche with Tom Amos's horse always in the money. Speed kind of have to go from down there because in all likelihood you're going to have horses trying to come over, save some sort of ground. You can end up getting bottled up in behind runners, not work out the cleanest trip. How do you feel about horses drawn toward the outside that have speed? You already kind of alluded to the fact when talking about Artie's Princess that, you know, this is a horse who has shown the ability to be up there pushing a relatively swift pace early on, but has also shown the ability to sit just off. So 
maybe she's not a perfect example because she's already displayed the versatility, but with horses that, let's say, are sort of more on the one-way speed type, on the outside, how do you view that differently than necessarily the inside, or do you look at them the same way? Uh, I see it as if you have speed on the inside, you're going to go. Um, so the horses on the outside, they have to either decide to go as soon as the gate opens, or they're going to have to take back and watch and see what happens. And that puts them in a spot. You go and you go too fast, and you're not saving ground, so you're going to get beat on the inside regardless. Or if you sit a trip, you get a chance of being left behind. Um, so in a sprint race, I kind of don't like the outside speed too much, um, but that kind of just goes based on how they've been running in the class they've been in. If they're a top-notch horse and they're better than the horse on the inside, it might not really matter, but that's just how you have to look at it. Now, when you bring up that you're a, a sort of a speed figure player in a race like this, uh, the buyers from the daily racing form, they're all relatively close. I shouldn't say all, but there's many. There's a handful of fillies that are separated by three, four, or five points. Um, I haven't taken a look at the Briz figs. I do look at the Time Form US numbers. They're all relatively close. You have an interesting situation with Artie's Princess trying grass for the first time, proving herself multiple times on the synthetic up at Woodbine. Do you factor that in? Is that enough to sort of turn you off? Or are you looking at it saying, on paper, not only is she versatile, but you can make the case she's the fastest in the race? Uh, she definitely looks to be the fastest, in my opinion. So we, we might have that in common. Um, the the switch in surface kind of scares me. Um, turf is a little more, uh, it's more squishy. Uh, the tapita is kind of like a rubber, so they're going to bounce over it. Um, and the turf, you're going to kind of, you're kind of going to sink into it and have to push off. So that might be a little factor, um, but this horse ran as a two-year-old, ran figs that were competitive, and then as a three-year-old came right back and improved. Um, so if we keep going on the improve, might be able to handle it just fine. She's an interesting one, too, because you take a look at this pedigree. I it Just at face value, without doing a full-blown deep dive, I look at it, and I don't immediately think turf sprint. I think of a horse that probably right. want to go a little bit longer. We know what we miss Artie was all capable of. Um, I guess in many ways, you know, you look at the horses coming out of that run at Belmont Park. You already brought it up. Braden Berry already kind of looked like the, the classiest of them all. You've got some speed down on the inside, and you also brought up She's My Type, who's coming out of that Belmont race. Where did you ultimately land in here? Who are you going to put on top? So um, I kind of went into this thinking, wow, there's a lot of speed. Maybe I'll take the inside horses and see if they can hold on. But um, going through going through it, um, I kind of landed on the three horse, Fly So Pretty. Um, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with uh, Mark Casey. I usually get beat when I don't play him, and when I do play him, I don't win. But that's how it goes sometimes. Um, but he's not having a great meet so far, but you go um, – the horse is first out uh, with Declan Carroll, runs a great figure, um, gets up in the money, and then you go right back to a Hall of Famer and you get a win. Um, so the horse seems capable to me. Um, and then you keep going and improving. The last race, you kind of got to throw it out. When you get left at the starting gate in the sprint, there's not much you can do. Um, it's kind of hard to come back from that. But what really sold me on the three was um, the connections. Um, Tracy Farmer, he's, he's very involved in the game and, He's had horses along the lines of Hidden Lake, Albert the Great, Commentator, Perfect Alibi. Uh, he's got some great, great, great stakes winners that he's been a part of. And the other thing is, this is a homebred for him. And uh, most people might not be too into the pedigrees and stuff like that. But the last homebred that he had that most people would probably recognize is uh, Sir Winston. And we know what that's done. Um, and guys at this level, they're not looking to just have cheap horses they, they want to win at the top level um and for this horse to stick around in the barn with the connections i, I think it's a good 
it's a good thing. Well, and you take a look at some of the races in the past. You brought up the situation at the beginning of the most recent run, also factoring in that was an off-the-turf race. The turf sprints, with the exception of the career debut, which I'm not going to hold against, I mean, you've got a couple of victories, one of them in a stakes race, one of them breaking the maiden at Saratoga at this distance, and that wasn't the cleanest of trips either. The fact that she was able to overcome that, I think, is a feather in her cap. And, you know, you brought it up maybe right now, the, the Cassie Barnes off to just a little bit of a, a lighter start, but we know what Mark Cassie and company are capable of, of accomplishing. And, and to your point, all tremendous information on Tracy Farmer, the idea that they're not in it just to be in it. They're in it to win races. Right. And like you say, now you have Johnny V listed here. I think she's interesting. I, you know, when you go about it from a gambling standpoint, do you have a set sort of number in mind that you're looking for, you're hoping for? Obviously, there's no morning line out just yet. Do you have a set number that you will settle for or accept and anything below that you pass? Or are you someone who plays, you know, multi-race wagers, things like that? Uh, I, I took to stick to the uh, multi-race wagers. Uh, I think it's a little more forgiving. You know, if, if, you, if you play too much on your odds, then you might only play once or twice a day. It's true. Um, where the multi-race waiters, you can throw in a, an even money shot and the next leg you can have a 10 to one and a five to one and a 20 to one. And you can get that value back. Um, even if you do hit a favorite and single in the leg. So I like the multi-race waiters. I think they're beneficial to, to players. So it sounds like you'll have a fair amount of fly so pretty in any kind of a multi, whether it's the late pick five, the pick four, or anything like that, even perhaps a late double. Uh, your official selection for race nine on Saturday, uh, excuse me, on Friday, is fly so pretty the three? Yeah, I'm going to take her. Like I said, uh, Tracy Farmer, he's uh, nine for 43 with his horses. That's uh, 20% this year. It's a pretty big number for an owner, so we'll see if he can get it done again. Fantastic information, Tommy. This has all been very, very good. Strong stuff. Any other fillies before I let you go that you would consider for maybe somebody looking to play an exact or a try, somebody underneath? I would probably do uh, something along the key box with the uh, exacta, with the, the three being the key, and then go towards the um, the Artie's Princess and uh, the Brindenbury Horse. So very, that would be good. it for me. I appreciate it. Tommy Ely. Tommy, where can we follow you on Twitter? Uh, it is, I think it's Rocky Fork 45. I'm not Rocky sure. Fork 45. Well, I will have this out when I tweet out the link as far as the, uh, the YouTube piece of the podcast. And that way folks will be able to follow along and go over and follow Tommy on Twitter. Tommy Ely, thank you again so much for hopping on. Congratulations on last week. Good luck thank you this week in race number nine against the Coronation Cup up at the spa. If you want to get involved, you want to be in Tommy's position next Monday, leave your selection beneath the video player on YouTube. Who knows? Maybe it'll be Tommy two weeks in a row. Tommy, thank you again. Appreciate it, and good luck. Thank you, man. Thank you very much to Tommy Ely for coming on, discussing race number nine this coming Friday. It's the Friday feature at Saratoga. Race nine at the spa on Friday. I'll say it again and again and again. Race nine, Friday, Saratoga. It's the Coronation Cup. That's this week's Friday feature. You want to get involved? Be in Tommy's position next Monday. Leave your selection beneath the video player over on YouTube. I'm going to quickly breeze through in the money and off the board this week and be very tight about it. Uh, in the money, Todd Pletcher. Uh, it seems like his barn is really starting to cook. And they're, some of the horses and some of the performances are really, really impressive. Um, you name it, top to bottom, you've got a horse like Colonel Liam, who I thought was really, really impressive. Given, you know, he had a little, I don't want to call it hidden pedigree. But he had some pedigree that would suggest anyway that 
he was going to be okay on the on the turf. And I can understand some folks that looked at it and said they paid a million or north of a million for the horse. Third lifetime start or fourth lifetime start, whatever it is, we're going to immediately go to the turf with him. Maybe that's not a vote of confidence. You know, I don't know. I feel like it's a little bit unkind as I'm pulling up some past performances really quick. I just thought he was really impressive. And I think he's the kind of horse that, to me, he's only going to get better with with time. And the way that he finished at the very end of that race, too, that was the part that, for me, was most impressive on the turf. He really seemed to power home in that final 16th of a mile. Makes me think the added ground is only going to be to his benefit. I believe that race was at a mile on the 16th. He earned a 99 buyer there. Uh, the other Pletcher that I think more people were intrigued with or impressed with was Happy Saver. I thought he was fantastic. A little bit green still once he finally got out into the clear. Uh, you could see he needed to get, I believe Jose Ortiz was riding, needed to get into him rounding the far turn, kind of get him to start picking things up. But it's it's been well documented. It seems like it's a little bit difficult to be in behind horses so far at Saratoga with that kickback. Once he got out into the clear, a little bit late with the lead change. He's super early, though. I mean, he's the kind of horse that he's only run twice. This was his first time going two turns, first time against winners up at Saratoga, which is never an easy place to, to you know win races. Um, I thought all around it was a really impressive performance from him as well. So you take a look at those two horses. I just, I get the feeling that the Pletcher Barn is really ramping things up. Not that, not that by any stretch has it been a subpar sort of season for Todd and his barn, but I feel like this first week or two of Saratoga, we've really seen the barn is starting to click and maybe he's got some of the three-year-olds that weren't ready if everything was sort of on a normal progression. Maybe they're going to make their presence felt here in this latter half of 2020 where, whether it's the turf or the dirt, seems like he's got some big charges. As far as my off the board this week is concerned, um, pains me to say because I love her, but it's Sister Charlie. And, and I, I recognize, um, you know, some folks pointed out, they said, you know, I, I made the, the statement that after the race, you know, she's typically fired fresh in the past. You know, I don't know if we just want to say she had a bad day today or, or what, but she was just dull. I had some people point out, you know, she's six years old and coming off of a lengthy layoff like the one she was, knowing that this is not the end all be all, you know, maybe that's maybe you want to just kind of pump the brakes a little bit. Maybe so. Um, and she ran into a good filly in Starship Jubilee, but our good mayor. But, you know, I guess I just would have liked to have seen some finish. And she just seemed like she was kind of indifferent. She was super late with the lead change, but with her, that doesn't alarm me a ton because this has kind of been her thing throughout her career. She's always been one that's been a little bit late with lead changes. So um, in the grand scheme of things, you know, that part didn't bother me. It was just that there's a real lack of, of energy, a lack of anything. She just didn't seem like she was particularly interested. So um, hopefully second start off the bench. I believe Chad is quoted saying he wants to uh, get ready for the Diane at a mile on an eighth. She's won that race in the past. Longer is going to be better for her. So uh, I'm not going to write her off just yet. I think it would be silly to. I mean, I made a, a point at one at one sort of juncture last year that I thought she might be the best that Chad's ever had. Um, and just because she didn't get the job done in the Breeders' Cup, I, to me, doesn't mean that she's all of a sudden a bum. 
I think she's very talented, and I'm hopeful that we get a, a forward move their second off the bench. But as far as the immediate piece is concerned, yeah, off the board. I, I wanted to see something. I didn't see anything from her in that return to the races. So um, hopefully she'll prove me wrong and she'll get back on the beam in that next start. But right now, I'm a little bit concerned. I'd be lying if uh, if I said otherwise. Uh, in the money, Pletcher off the board. Sister Charlie, let me know you're in the money off the board beneath the video player on YouTube. A couple uh, quick very quick uh, run-throughs as far as Q&A is concerned this week. Uh, the first one I will touch on is Nancy Marin. Uh, Matt, what are your thoughts on Country Grammar's performance in the Peter Pan? I like him for the mile and a quarter distance. Not sure he can beat top-level horses. Didn't face much in that race. Nancy, thank you for the question. Um, if you remember, go all the way back to the beginning when this show rebooted with In the Money Media. I believe we were coming out of the Fountain of Youth or the Holy Bull, one of the two. And Country Grammar was just kind of even in that race. I think he finished third maybe or second, but distant. And, and I said, he feels like a Travers horse to me. I think he's going to need some racing. It's going to take a little bit of time. And sort of the path that I had laid out, I believe, was Peter Pan, Jim Dandy, Travers. That was assuming that Peter Pan was going to be at Belmont as a prep for the Belmont Stakes. And then the Jim Dandy would be in its sort of traditional position leading into the Travers in its traditional position. That was before, you know, what hit the fan. Um, I don't have any question about the distance with this horse. Mile and a quarter, I think, is going to be his game. Uh, you go back and you watch the tape of that Peter Pan. I like, look, he got a really, really smooth ride from Irad down on the inside. But I like that he fought back against Caracaro, who I think is a really talented horse as well. Caracaro might have got a little bit tired at the end, but... Uh, you know, it wasn't uh, by a ton. It was a situation where I think Country Grammar came back. And the thing that I was most intrigued with with Country Grammar at the very end of that race was Irad had the stick just shown to him, but he had really stopped pumping on him because he must have felt pretty comfortable that he had it done. And watch, and I would encourage everyone to go back, and I talk about watching the horses, their, their sort of body language out on the track as opposed to getting ready for the race because, again, I'm not, I'm far from an expert on horse flesh. But watching their body language out on the track, I think can you can glean quite a bit from that. And the minute Arad stopped really getting after him, his ears went straight up. And on the gallop out, his ears are kind of cocked. I think there was a lot left in the tank. I think he's... I mean, he can't help but be a little bit green still because he, he hasn't raced a lot in the afternoon. But I do think... He's trending the right direction. I think Caracaro, if he shows up in the Travers as a horse you're going to have to take seriously. Mystic Guide is a difficult call because I'm starting to get a little bit sick of the act. But at the same time, if you believe that the kickback at Saratoga through the first, let's call it two weeks, has been enough that it's been very difficult to be making up ground from the back of the pack. He did start to kick on again, you know, once he got angled out into the clear down the lane. You know, he... The problem is I would need a price that I don't think is necessarily realistic on him. So at this juncture right now, I'm probably more intrigued with Country Grammar and Caracaro over Mystic Guide. I'm not ready to give up on Mystic Guide yet, but um, I think all three of those horses are pretty solid, uh, especially the top two. And I'm, you know, like I said, I've, I've made my case about Mystic Guide in the past, but um, Country Grammar, I have no questions about the mile and a quarter against the top level runners, you know, against uh, Tis the Law, against a, an Uncle Chuck who, you know, he's probably closer to Uncle Chuck than he is Tis the Law. Tis the Law has proven different tracks, different configurations, distances, X, Y, and Z. Um, Uncle Chuck and Country Grammar are both kind of the, the less exposed ones, for better or for worse. 
exposed as being maybe a cut or two below or as being every bit as good as the big boys. So uh, I, the Travers could potentially be a fantastic race. Really looking forward to it. Nancy, thanks for the question. Um, I thought it was a, a pretty solid effort from this horse. Again, got a good trip, sat the pocket for the most part, shot up the inside, um, but distance isn't going to get him beat. Uh, the connections aren't going to get him beat. It's going to be more a matter of, is he ready to take that next step? Because he's probably going to. Uh, to be fair, he didn't run He didn't run slow. I mean, he earned a 95 buyer, and he's run five times. I apologize, not uh, not three or four times. So he, he did get that start at Belmont Park, and that race at Tappet's a win just went out there and wired the field. But um, I think longer is better for country grammar. Let's put it that way. So Nancy, thank you for the question. Uh, for those of you who offered up some other pieces, please continue to do so. Uh, adds to the possibilities for Q&A and things like that. Leave them in the comment section beneath the video player on YouTube. It's the same pl place that you need to leave your selections if you want to get involved in the Friday feature for next week, which again is Saratoga's ninth race. That's the Coronation Cup. However you listen to this thing, thank you for doing so. Uh, you have Apple Podcasts. You have your Android device. You have InTheMoneyPodcast.com. You also have YouTube. Search Matt Burney, your show. Put that right in that search bar at the top. Uh, this episode, along with the 24 prior episodes, will pop up. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to all of these things. If you are over on YouTube, make sure the bell icon is lit up so you get a notification anytime anything new is uploaded to the In The Money podcast or media page. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. That is going to do it for this week in episode number 25. I will be back next Monday with episode 26 talking about all sorts of stuff because I believe this weekend's kind of a big one. Got a number of big races, coast to coast, Saratoga and Del Mar. Uh, good luck this weekend and this entire week, I should say. Good luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. It's been episode 25 of the Matt Burger Show.